Welcome to That's the Deal Podcast. Uh, my name is Danielle, and I'm here with my friend Jacqueline. Oh, hey, we're back. We are back. God damn, it's been a while. Actually, last week we just released something. <laughs> but before that, it had been a while, it seems like. Yeah, like a month. Yeah, and that's because I was sick and yeah. lazy, but mostly sick. Yeah. So um, there was a little bit of a delay on the last release, but we're here. We're queer. Get used to it. <laughs> Jacqueline. Did not like that. I improv something and she was like. (laughs) (laughs) She did not like that. Uh, Welcome to this week's episode. This week we are watching the pitch episode. But before we get into that, we have some housekeeping. So sit tight. We have a lot of feedback from the last episode. Yeah, it was great hearing from everyone. Mostly on Facebook. So if you guys wanted to join in on a conversation, that seems to be where it's happening. Although we did receive an email. Jacqueline. Oh, boy. Sexiest voice, please. Subject line. Yearning from Rob Smith. I yearn to once more hear your sexy voices. Please come back soon. P.S. I would love to hear your thoughts on butt play. It would be nice to get a candid female perspective. What's your perspective on butt play? Sometimes fine. Really? Yeah. And how does that happen? It's mostly like uh, kind of it starts as like a massage type of thing. Has this actually happened? Or is this like <laughs> something you had in Cosmo? I feel like you're full of fucking shit. No pun intended. <laughs> no, it's never happened. I was gonna, I, I was gonna I'm say, way too squeamish. There's no way you're getting your butt played with. I think in theory, I'm open to a conversation about it. But right off the bat. It's going to take some coaxing. <laughs> some coke, probably. Yeah, that too. What are your thoughts? I can't imagine a situation where someone's inside my butt mm-hmm. with a finger or mouth. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's like rimming? Yeah, no, thank you. What if it's like a butt plug? Here's the deal. <laughs> I'm too worried about poo coming out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm too worried about poo being exposed to yeah, the Yeah, I read somewhere that like you're not supposed to eat a lot the day that That's you try it. too much of a commitment. I don't want to have to like prepare to have butt play. Yeah. Poop is real and it's a real scary thing. I'm worried I'm going to fart during anything mm-hmm. sexual. Mm-hmm. Because do I tell the queef story? Have I told the queef story? Yeah, I think you have told it. Okay, for those of you who don't remember, I one time queefed in front of a boyfriend before I'd ever even farted in front of him. And I was bare ass <laughs> naked and I queefed and it was embarrassing. Okay? It was the two of us. I had nothing to shelter me from the echoes of the queef. <laughs> no clothing to absorb that body. Sound. I have never been more vulnerable. Can you imagine a naked body just... <laughs> and I hadn't even farted in front of the guy yet. It was just the perfect queef. I moved my body while I was naked and I queefed hard. Oh my God. So why did I tell that story? There's a reason. Because um, we don't want to fart or poop Oh, yeah. Or... I'm worried that I'll f- yeah. fart. Or what if you like fling a poo when someone pops a finger out and there's poo in their well, nail? That's the thing. Like, I don't understand the fascination. Like, guys, poo comes out of your butt. I think it's because it's like taboo. I Yeah. But like, how close are you willing to get to poo for the taboo? I sound like Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> I feel like I should be writing for Sex in the City. But does a girl need poo for it to be taboo? 
My candid thought on butt play is that I'm really worried I'm going to end up really liking someone and they're into butt play. Mm. Like really into butt play. Yeah, that freaks me out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get it. I hear you. If you can't stand the stink, <laughs> stay out of the pink. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> can we high five on that? Yeah, we can. Is it audible? I hope so. <laughs> I'll put it in post. <laughs> um, okay, so that's one That's one piece of housekeeping. A lot of shout outs today. A lot of shout outs. We don't get to shout out that often. Yeah, it's nice when we get to, when we hear from you, we'd like to then reciprocate that love so you can hear your name on the pod. God damn, I wish I had my sound, sound effects clipped in because then I would just do air, the air horn. So a couple comments on the last episode, primarily around the cops from the trip episode, trip episode one and two. There was those two like over the top L.A. detectives mm-hmm. that were like the redheaded guy from CSI. Like a film noir type. Yeah. Just over the top. Just yeah. really cheesy over the top. And we had a couple different interpretations of those cops. Like they were both working on the Black Dahlia case or something like it was a little much. Well, we have one fan, Daylin. I hope I'm saying your name correctly who mentioned something really interesting. Seinfeld could, in fact, be told from Jerry's perspective in all forms rather than a third-party perspective as in the audience. So you were understanding and interpreting life around you from Jerry's perspective. And Jerry, in this case, has this interpretation of what these two cops would be like in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. I guess not really being there. His That's his interpretation of what police would be like in Los Angeles. Right. Um, Daylin also mentioned something about two cops being failed actors. Mm -hmm. Who are like playing it up by being detectives. So if we go back to some of the other comments that our fans made. Fans, we have fans. (laughs) We have a couple comments from John Caston. Caston, you think? Caston. John Caston and Ruben. Oh, how do we say this one? Ruben Hilo? Yeah. Hilu? 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 Hello? <laughs> Hello? Ru- I'm sorry, is this worse? <laughs> no, sorry for making fun of your name. Sorry for bastardizing your given name, Ruben. Yeah, but uh, Ruben has some good comments here as well. Also didn't like this particular episode, which I mentioned. I didn't really love it until I rewatched it, and then I kind of had this newfound appreciation for it. And I also kind of mentioned, as I was list- reading some of the comments on our Facebook page, this episode gets a bad rap because I think we know what's about to come up so you're constantly comparing Seinfeld with other episodes of Seinfeld right so you know you certainly have episodes that are your least favorite the dog for instance being one of ours but is it really that bad in the grand scheme of things I don't know yet but you've seen other shows yeah no sure I don't I didn't think it was that bad there you go you didn't think it was that bad I think I said that in the last episode. I don't remember. Jesse, our fan from Australia, uh, says that we're both adorable. I have to agree. So it sounds like he hasn't picked a favorite yet. We'll make you choose, Jesse. Okay, so Dalen mentioned the tuck part of Seinfeld in the last episode. How I pulled a muscle in my butt um, kicking a tuck. And also George's fascination and the long-running joke of the whole tuck and kicking out a tuck in the series, which is something that we hadn't discussed. I'll just read you the comment here from Dalen. So this is a long-running joke with George. In the Chinese restaurant, there's a deleted scene where he limps to the phone. Jerry asks what's wrong, and he says he pulled a hamstring kicking in a tuck. In the note, he tells sort of Raymond, his masseuse, that he injured his hamstring in Korea in a hotel. And then in the limo, I believe, he tells Jerry the same story. So I thought that was interesting. What about you? That I had not picked up on that. 
I didn't pick up that on that either, which is so silly. I mean, it's just, it's so great to hear from fans who are obsessed about the show. I forget how obsessive people get about this particular show. And having said that, I think it's a good way to go into this episode because there's a lot of obsessive moments in this particular episode. I think there's a lot of really good quotes that are very Seinfeld. In fact, this episode in itself is the ultimate meta episode because it's reflective of what Larry and Jerry had to go through in order to pitch this show. Mm -hmm. You ready to jump in? Yeah, I keep looking at the fire as if I think it's a real fire. (laughs) We have a romantic fire going. We, we had like a romantic lady date. We went to a nice steakhouse, had some wine. Now we're sitting by the fireplace, the faux fireplace, which is really just Jacqueline's TV. Yeah. Um, Apple TV playing a nice fire. So as mentioned on the top of the episode, we are watching the pitch today, which is the 43rd episode, the third episode of the fourth season, which aired on September 16th, 1992. It had 17.6 million viewers. Just to give you an idea, it was the 30th show of the week. Top 10 shows of that particular week included Roseanne, Delta, Home Improvement, Tied with 60 Minutes, Murphy Brown, Murder, She Wrote, Murphy Brown again. I guess there was two airings of Murphy Brown that week, Coach. Primetime Live and the Miss America pageant. So those would have been the top 10 shows on that week that beat Seinfeld in the ratings. Busy week. The bottom five, just to give you an idea of the bottom five, America's Most Wanted, Heights, Parker Lewis, Bill and Ted's Adventures, and Likely Suspects came in the bottom five. 1992 was a weird year. Okay, let's kick off this episode with our first clip. What'd they do for toilet paper in the Civil War? (laughs) I wonder what toilet paper was like in the 1860s. Did they, did they carry it in rolls in their duffel bags? Everything with you comes down a toilet paper. <laughs> what? That's always the first question with you. Why is that always your focus? All right, then what did they do? I don't know. Maybe they gave out big, loose clumps to all the soldiers. <laughs> well, I think it would be nice if there was some sort of historical record of it. Maybe they should have a toilet paper museum. Would you like that? <laughs> so we could see all the toilet paper advancements down through the ages. Toilet paper during the Crusades. The development of the preparation. The first six-pack. Can I just say I feel like I would go to that museum? <laughs> the toilet paper museum? Don't yeah. you think it'd be interesting? There's a poo museum. There is? Yeah, remember? Shout out to our coworker Zach. He told us about a poo museum <laughs> oh, right. in Korea. I never remember. I never know if he's kidding or not. No, he showed he us. sounds like he's full of shit yeah. <laughs> most of the time. And then every now and then, perfect example... We were talking about Keanu Reeves, and he mentioned that Keanu Reeves is worth $350 million. (laughs) There's part of the story that I didn't tell you. Um, I thought he was full of shit. He said it's because he invested early on in The Matrix. I looked it up, and he was correct. (laughs) Keanu Reeves is worth $350 million. I would have never guessed that. Side note, our co-worker came in around the time we were talking about this, and I asked her, hey, how much do you think Keanu Reeves is worth? She says... I don't know, 30 million? And I said, 350 million. She said, why so much money? And then for some reason, I said, because he invested in the Matrix. And she (laughs) said, the Matrix is real? (laughs) I forgot to tell you that part. (laughs) Bless her heart. Yeah, so that's a cute little story for you guys. Uh, (laughs) Oh, my God. I'll have you know that the answer is, according to America AmericaCivilWar.org, Civil War soldiers used leaves, grass, twigs, corn cobs, and books for toilet paper. So that's the answer. Okay. I could imagine, like, someone has a hanky or something that they wash and wring out. Like, how loose were their poos? 
Could they just like plop one out? Can I tell you? I can snap one off like a stick. Yeah, no, you've mentioned that. <laughs> Have I? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Brag about my pooing. <laughs> if I were, if I didn't have toilet paper, I would be okay. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> Every once in a while, I get some real, real sticky ones. <laughs> okay, the reason why I wanted to play this one off the top is I thought it was funny and stupid. And also, it's the first episode so far where there's no stand-up. Yeah. No stand-up opening. So we go straight into the content. At this point, Jerry and George are at a comedy club. Jerry clearly just came off stage. George came to see him for some reason. And they're standing at the bar. And George just goes into this ridiculous question about the toilet paper. It's also interesting to note because we get into George's fascination with toilet papers and bathrooms, which is going to continue throughout the series. Right. So a fascination that I share. Yeah, that's right. You do. Because we've talked about this. <laughs> yeah. You do like a good bathroom. I do. So we know this part of George already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so we're at the comedy club and all of a sudden some guys in suits approach Jerry and George. Excuse me, Jerry? I'm Stu Chermack. I'm from NBC. Oh. Uh, could we speak for a few moments? Sure, sure. Hi, Hi Jay Crespi. Hello. Uh, C-R-E-S-P-I. That's right. I'm unbelievable at spelling last names. Give, give me a last name. Uh, I'm not George. Really? Huh? George cannot read a situation. He just doesn't know when it's appropriate to back off. I thought this was really cute. Yeah. I like the fact that he spells this guy's name and it also comes back later, which we'll also play in a clip. Mm-hmm. I like that that's one of his skills is that he's like, oh, I'm, I'm fantastic at spelling people's last names. And he's proud of it. Yeah. It's cute. It is. So these guys in suits tell Jerry they've been kind of watching him for a while and they'd be interested in working with him. So if he has any ideas about some shows, they'd love to hear it and perhaps they can do something. So Jerry tells George, and I kind of just want to play this clip quickly because I feel like there's a tone to George. What was that all about? They said they were interested in me. For what? You know, TV show. (laughs) Your own show? Yeah, I guess so. They want you to do a TV show? (laughs) Well, they want me to come up with an idea. I mean, I don't have any ideas. Come on, how hard is that? Look at all the junk that's on TV. Everyone is so dismissive of Jerry's comedy career. <laughs> it's really great. Especially because throughout the show, he's like the biggest name in comedy. Yeah. And yet his friends are just like, yeah, yeah, it's funny. I don't know. I'm going to give you a show? <laughs> the theme that carries on throughout this episode is the fact that this is a show about nothing and sitcoms in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So you don't really, what do you need to know? Com- you know, sitcoms are very dumb. They're considered dumb. TV is not like it is considered now. Yeah, we're, consi- we're considered to be in the like golden age of TV right now. Like this is Yeah, an actor would be lucky to land a TV show. Whereas oh, yeah. in the past, it was kind of like, hey, you work movies. Or you work TV until you don't have to work TV anymore and you can only work movies. And George right. Clooney is probably oh, a really God. good example of For that. For sure. So in learning that the NBC wants to work with Jerry, potentially, George starts to get some ideas of what some shows would be, and he comes off the cuff really quickly. Do we want to play both or just one? Let's do both. And then did you do you have any pitches? Because I have four pitches. I don't have any pitches yet, but I probably could come up with them pretty quickly, just like That's George. what I did last night. I opened my phone. And I was like, boom, 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 boom. Okay, <laughs> let's play uh, George's first pitch for a TV show starring Jerry. <laughs> you want an idea? Here's an idea. You coach a gymnastics team in high school, and you're married, and your son is not interested in gymnastics, and you're pushing him into gymnastics. Why should I care if my son's into gymnastics? Because you're a gymnastics teacher. It's only natural. But gymnastics is not for everybody. I know, but he's your son. So what? (laughs) All right, forget that idea. It's not for you. What do you think of that idea? It's not for Jerry. (laughs) It's kind of a silly idea. Yeah. 
Having said that, there is concepts not that far-fetched from a show that would be on the air. Oh, for sure. I mean, the gymnastics, that's silly. That's the silly thing to choose. But replace that with, you know, a hockey coach or a football coach or track and field, like someone who then has a a child who is super into swimming or super into dance, something that doesn't fall into the category of what that person does for a living. Is there a show out there like that? Probably. (laughs) I mean, who knows? And so this is interesting, this part. We'll play uh, George's extra pitch after this. But Kramer also pitches an idea. Um, And it's just the idea that sitcoms now, but especially then, you needed an overall concept for the show. Whether the the concept carried throughout the series is a different story. It was probably enough just to get the show started. But there kind of needed to be an overall reason for you to watch. A hook. Although Friends. Friends got picked up because of... Seinfeld. Yeah. But Roseanne. Family comedy. Let's hear George's second idea. Okay, 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 I got it. You run an antique store. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And and people come into the store and you get involved in their lives. <laughs> what person who runs an antique store gets involved in people's lives? <laughs> Why not? So someone comes in to buy an old lamp and suddenly I'm getting them out of a jam. <laughs> I could see if I was a pharmacist, because a pharmacist knows what's wrong with everybody that comes in. No, but antiques are very popular right now. No, they're not. They used to be. Sure, like you know. Oh, like you do. (laughs) Nice little bickering back and forth between the boys. Um, What do you think is more likely to be a show? The antique show or the gymnast show? Gymnast show. Really? I can see the antique show work. For Jerry? No. I don't think any of them would work for Jerry. I'm just saying overall as the concept of a show. I guess. Maybe the gymnast one feels a bit played out so maybe it's like oh it's this guy he's an antique roadshow appraiser something like that yeah yeah i guess now compared to the 90s too is kind of a different story so jacqueline i heard you have some pitches let's hear them four on deck <clears throat> number one i like that you clear your throat it's important to have a clear voice <laughs> <laughs> i'm listening <laughs> um jerry runs a breakup b&b in maine it's where you bring your significant other to break up with them, and there's like all sorts of comfort stuff around. Okay. Like a pint of ice cream and jammies? Yeah, and like pillows and tissues. And the other person can leave, and that okay. person can stay there and get over the breakup for the weekend. And there's like car service back to the city? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Full thing. And Jerry runs it, and he's like a cynical New Yorker. Also, he doesn't believe in love. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Um, second. Classic fish out of water tale. Jerry inherits a fan boat business in the bayou. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) He has to deal with all sorts of like toothless dum-dums or like, oh, there's a gator in my boat. Yeah. Okay. And he's a classic New Yorker who like doesn't want to deal with this. But you got to figure a lot of that business would be tourists who also aren't familiar. So it's like the blind leading the blind. Yeah. That'd also be funny. Right. Because he doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. And he doesn't care. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. I'd watch that. Um, Jerry's in witness protection, and he part of the witness protection program is that he gets a family who are also like p- part of the FBI. So his wife is an FBI agent. His children are like young protege FBI agents that are like in their teens, mm-hmm. and they all protect him, and he ends up loving them all as his own family. Okay, that's interesting. Jerry is arrested and has to do community service and he is put in a big brother, little sister program and uh, his little sister, he like bonds with her over their love of like mischief and sarcasm. 
And also he like teaches her how to ice skate. Okay. <laughs> Is that a two-parter? Uh, that'd two-parter be a two-parter series. episode. <laughs> okay, I'm with you. All great. Bayou one's probably my favorite. Right? Yeah. Enjoyed that one. So Jerry gets back to his apartment and he tells Kramer what's going on. And Kramer has a good idea for a pitch as well. And you're the manager of the circus. <laughs> the circus? Oh, come on, this is a great idea. I mean, look at the characters. You got all these freaks in the show. A woman with a mustache. I mean, who wouldn't tune in to see a woman with a mustache? You got the tallest man in the world. A guy who's just ahead. <laughs> I don't think so. Look, Jerry, the show isn't about the circus. It's about watching freaks. I don't think the network will go for it. Why not? Look, I'm not pitching a show about freaks. Oh, come on, Jerry. You're wrong. People, they want to watch freaks. This is a can't miss. I agree with Kramer. This is solid. <laughs> That's probably the best idea we've heard so far between George and Kramer. Do you think Ryan Murphy watched this episode of Seinfeld and was like, oh, freaks, of course. That's season four of American Horror Story. I mean, freaks make sense from a horror perspective. Yeah. For a sitcom, no way. Yeah, so I mean, that's the idea. That's why it's funnier as a sitcom because it doesn't necessarily make sense, but it is still a good idea. Yeah. Because then you could see the human side. It could be sweet and funny which i think charming. is kind of the angle that american horror story took was that these are people and they have i didn't watch that because it looked freaky as fuck yeah no there was a killer clown it was horrendous but <laughs> there was actual like nice little human moments with the freaks <laughs> with the freaks <laughs> that's what they called themselves uh again the freaks there's an episode of curb your enthusiasm where where larry gets the freak book and he is obsessed with freaks <laughs> have you seen that one no it's a good one Another cute little moment happens. This is a side story between Kramer and Newman. Newman comes in and decides that he wants to... Sorry. Newman comes in and he's going to trade his helmet for Kramer's radar detector. He asks Kramer for the radar detector. Kramer leaves his apartment, leaving Newman and Jerry alone together. Jerry basically confronts Newman and says, you know, you're ripping him off because a radar detector is far more money than uh, a helmet. Yeah. He's like, don't say anything. So there's a cute little moment. This is a pretty bad deal for Kramer. You know, a radar detector's worth much more than that helmet. I think you're cheating him. Don't say anything. All right. <laughs> hey, you know you're getting gypped over here. <laughs> I think that's funny because, I mean, the second Jerry has a chance to fuck over Newman, he does. I which is know. expected. Yeah, why would Newman trust Jerry to not fuck him over? <laughs> <laughs> don't say anything. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't worry. Rather than just saying, no, I'm not. Yeah. Or you don't know how much this helmet costs. This helmet's very expensive. Yeah. This was Evil Knievel's helmet. My favorite part of the show. You ready? Yeah. My favorite part of the show. One of the best Seinfeld, super Seinfeld-y quotes ever. I won't play the drum roll because Jacqueline gets anxious when I play it. Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. Why don't they have salsa on the table? What do you need salsa for? Salsa is now the number one condiment in America. Do you know why? Because people like to say salsa. <laughs> Excuse me, do you have any salsa? We need more salsa. Where's the salsa? No salsa. You know, it must be impossible for a Spanish person to order salsa and not get salsa. Don't you know the difference between salsa and salsa? You have the salsa after the salsa. <laughs> See, this should be the show. This is the show. What? This. Just talk. Yeah, right. This should be the show. And it should be the show. Mm-hmm. George nails it. He comes up with an idea about nothing. And it takes a little while for Jerry to really understand what George is saying. I don't know that he fully understands it at first. But once he gets it, he really gets it. 
And it's silly because to say it's about nothing is true and not true at the same time. I think it's doing a disservice to what the actual concept is. But it's an easy way to get it quickly. Mm -hmm. It's about nothing and everything. Yeah. Um, This is very Seinfeld. It's how you see the characters joking with each other. You see a little bit of Jerry's sense of humor. You see George's sense of humor, how well they play off each other. Uh, You see them talking about something silly. It also is very reflective of a normal conversation you would have with someone. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that this is something that Larry said to Jerry, you know, just joking around at a coffee shop before they went into the office. Yeah. And it made it into the the script because it is such a normal thing and such an everyday thing to say to somebody. Sometimes I wish that you and I were recording our conversations because the way that we play off of each other and make each other laugh, I wish I had, like, footage of. We are sel- Salsa and Seltzer 2016. Yeah. That's really hard to say. Salsa Seltzer 2016. And then how do you think a Spanish person would say Seltzer? Don't know. If you're Spanish, can you please call in and say Seltzer? Yeah, please. George realizes what he has here, and he's going to further explore the idea of a show about nothing. Just talking? Well, what's the show about? It's about nothing. (laughs) No story? No, forget the story. You gotta have a story. Who says you gotta have a story? Remember when we were waiting for for that table in that Chinese restaurant that time? That could be a TV show. And who's on the show? Who are the characters? I could be a character. You? Yeah, you base a character on me. So on the show, there's a character named George Costanza? Yeah. There's something wrong with that? I'm a character. People are always saying to me, you know, you're quite a character. (laughs) And who else is on the show? Elaine could be a character. Kramer. Now, he's a character. (laughs) So everybody I know is a character on the show. Right. Okay, so the show is about nothing. Nothing in the sense that there's no overall concept that audiences tune in to watch. It's not a legal drama. It's not a drama happening in a hospital which is like 90% of shows right there. It's a new style of sitcom that Seinfeld created. Yeah, it's just a show about your everyday life. It's a There's nothing all that spectacular that happens, although within each episode something crazy normally happens. Yeah. But in a very normal way. It's a hangout show. It is a hangout show. Yeah. We've said often these friends are ride or dies. Yeah. It is just about them going, making their way through life and shit that happens to them every day the minutia simple yeah when you think about it yeah but it's fantastic maybe that's why people related to related to it so much they have yeah that has to be the reason because there's everyone is trying so hard to have a hook but when you bring it down to a really human level because that's what people want to see they want to see humanity they want to see their friends on tv they want to see the conversations that they would have they want to see that related back to them and so i i totally understand why the show is so popular Yeah, I think that this is a perfect example. This is a perfect episode, rather, to really illustrate the show itself. Mm -hmm. Now that you have a few episodes under your belt, I think this is a good episode to really wrap up the show. And we're kind of getting into the sauce. Like, we're kind of getting into... Into the salsa? Into the the seltzer. (laughs) (laughs) We're getting into it. Now you're getting more of a feeling of where the show really hits its stride. And I think why season four is so fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing to mention... Elaine is not really in this episode. She's in it for a brief moment, which we'll play later. Uh, The boys walking into this cafe before they start talking about salsa and seltzer mention, can you believe Elaine? Or I've heard from Elaine who's on vacation. Can you believe she ran away with her therapist? So she's in a romantic relationship with her therapist. Who appears to be quite a bit older. Yeah, but fuck, isn't that weird? Is that not like a huge 
abuse of power? For sure. It's certainly an ethical issue. And yeah. it is an abuse of power. It's taking advantage of someone. You know their mental, physical, emotional, physiological, like psychological state. And you as an authority figure, as someone in their life who they are <laughs> just relating all of this to. It's, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, you're how. preying on them. Yeah. It's basically that. Yeah, and this kind of comes back in the episode. So I don't know if I, I probably didn't mention this at the top. This is a two-parter episode. So rather than recording part one and part two together, we've just kept them separate. They're played separately in syndication, which I think makes kind of more sense than the other arc episodes um, of the series. So we will be watching the ticket. I think it's next week. But next week's episode this kind of starts to come back. We see okay. this more. We see the relationship between the therapist. It has more Elaine in it. So Elaine is out because Julia Louis-Dreyfus had her baby, right? Yeah, I believe she would have still, she still would have been on uh, Matley. She probably just had a little setup role for the second episode to air. Gotcha. And it's about nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> so you're saying I go into NBC and tell them I got this idea for a show about nothing. <laughs> we go into NBC. We? Since when are you a writer? Right, we're talking about a sitcom. <laughs> you want to go with me to NBC? Yeah, I think we really got something here. What do we got? An idea. What idea? An idea for the show. I still don't know what the idea is. It's about nothing. Right. Everybody's doing something. We'll do nothing. <laughs> so we go into NBC, we tell them we got an idea for a show about nothing. Exactly. They say, what's your show about? I say nothing. There you go. I think you may have something here. <laughs> so it sounds like Jerry finally gets it. That or he's just humoring George. I think he gets it. When you watch him, he's just like, I think you got something. Like, I think he's it's dawning on him what he actually means. To say it's a show about nothing, if you don't actually know what the show's about, that's very confusing. Yeah. I think I just, I don't know if that even makes sense. <laughs> we know what he means by nothing because we have the benefit of watching Seinfeld and we get what nothing really means. Right. But if you haven't watched Seinfeld yet, which obviously these guys haven't because they're in the process of pitching it, and they exist in a world where sitcoms typically have that hook, mm -hmm. have that purpose for existing, that overall storyline, to say everyone's doing something, we're going to do nothing, I think is what clarifies the point, And right. that's probably what drives it home to Jerry oh, yeah, everybody is doing something. There's always a reason. There's always, uh, you know, a purpose for the series or an overall story. So we're not going to do that. We're just going to have everyday self-contained episodes where we do everyday things. Mm -hmm. So next up, Jerry goes back to his apartment and runs into Kramer and tells Kramer about his idea and how he wants Kramer to be a character or at least a character based on Kramer. So the show would be about my real life and one of the characters would be based on you. <laughs> No, I don't think so. What do you mean you don't think so? I don't like it. I don't understand. What don't you like about it? I don't like the idea of a character based on me. Why not? No, it just doesn't sit well. <laughs> You're my neighbor. There's got to be a character based on you. That's your problem, buddy. I don't understand what the big deal is. Okay, I'll tell you what. You can do it on one condition. Whatever you want. I get to play Kramer. You can't play Kramer. I am Kramer. But you can't act. <laughs> Okay, fine. We'll use Newman. Newman? Use me for what? Nothing. What do you want? Okay, so Newman rolls in at that point, and we're going to get into a little discussion between Kramer and Newman. But first, um, what did you think of Kramer in this scene here? I like that he was trying to protect his brand. Interesting that he doesn't want to be a character, because you would yeah. expect the opposite of him. You'd think he'd for sure want everyone to hear his stories. 
Yeah, especially because he just came back from Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, he has a, a little bit of that searching for fame. He just doesn't like the idea that it'd be a character based on him. Right. Or someone else portraying him in a way that isn't reflective of who he actually is. What did you think of Michael Richards' portrayal of Kramer? Does it seem any different to you? This is not a trick question. Like, in this episode? Yeah. No? You just have this quizzical look on your face. Okay, I'm only saying that. <laughs> I don't think I understand the question. Okay, I'm only saying that because in watching this particular scene, I feel like Kramer is becoming more of the Kramer that I've come to love in later episodes. Okay. He's just... No, I don't think so. Like, he has that... Um, his, his, like, tone changes... His movements kind of change. He's just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, I guess. LA changed him. He's just (laughs) a little bit of his own man more. He's not as like eager to impress or to agree. He's just, he's doing his own thing a little bit more. And I just think that the way his delivery of some of the lines is a little bit different. Oh yeah. Okay. I did not notice that at all. Okay. Interesting. So surprise, surprise, the radar detector, which Jerry knows doesn't work, has come to bite Newman in the ass. Helmet back. You give me back my helmet, and you're gonna pay for that ticket. Oh, yeah, yeah, you better think again, Mojumbo. <laughs> you gave me a defective detector, Jerry. Buyer beware. Are you gonna give me back that helmet or not? No, we had a deal. There's no guarantees in life. No, but there's Karma Kramer. Karma Kramer? Karma Kramer. I don't know why I love that so much. Because it sounds great. <laughs> I just thought Jerry's like, Karma Kramer? It's like, two puzzle pieces finally fit in jerry's head and like the light went on it's like karma kramer (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what it is that's so funny also okay maybe just to go back to the point i was saying before that clip where the delivery is a little bit different that mojambo comment is kind of another example like he has his own little spin he kind of adds his own style to the character it's almost like rather than just reading something that's on the page he adds a little bit of of style to it like the mojambo i wonder if that was even in the script i can't imagine it was i can see it being in the script all right fair enough but who knows so now we're at nbc george and jerry are in the waiting room before they're going to meet with the nbc executive team and jerry is trying to calm down george because george is having a real panic attack he's really nervous that he has no business he's a fraud and he has no business being in the pitch meeting i can't do this i can't do this what i can't do this i can't do it i've tried i'm here it's impossible this was your idea what idea i just said something i didn't know you were gonna listen to me don't worry about it they're just tv executives they're men with jobs jerry they wear suits and ties. They're married. They have secretaries. I told you not to come. Do you find this scene interesting? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say why, and then I was like, well, that's kind of giving you the answer. I find it interesting that it's giving us a much deeper view into why George is fretting and meeting with these people. It's not just that they hold a power of authority to say yes or no on the pitch. It's these are people who are contributing to society. They probably pay their taxes. They aren't abusing the unemployment insurance. Like they're just power people. They're people. Not who, only are they employed, they're employed with really great, powerful jobs. Yeah, they have wives and secretaries. Yeah, they're men. Yeah, they're real men. They wear suits, and that's really intimidating to someone like George. And you'd even think someone like Jerry, because Jerry's not that. Well, but I don't think Jerry aspires to be that. And I think George sees that there's a lot of value in becoming that because with that comes power 
and he has none. He has no power. He has no power. It's just such a difference in the lives that the boys lead yeah. versus the men. Yeah. And Jerry, I don't think, gives a shit. Because Jerry has think Jerry power. Jerry gives his shit either. And I think he, you're right. He does have power yeah. and he certainly has power in his own realm. Like comedy is his world. Yeah. That's the only world that matters to him. He doesn't really focus on this kind of world. But he still does consider himself a boy. He mentions it in later episodes. We're boys. We're not men. Right. Um, and these are men. This, this is what their idea of men, you know, that's what, what it would be, I think. Power I, suit. I think Jerry's comfortable being a boy at this point. I don't think that he necessarily wants to be a man. Because then you can't do the dumb shit that Jerry gets to do. That's true. I think he really enjoys being a boy. Yeah. So with George freaking out, Jerry's going to give him a little pep talk. He decides to really talk him up, talk up his friend like a good friend would do. But then he can't be Jerry without really sticking it to George, which we also saw in the last episode. They're not better than me. Of course not. Who are they? They're nobody. What about me? What about you? Right then. Why not me? Why not you? I'm just as good as them. Better. Yeah. You really think so? No. Jerry just, he, he's a dick. <laughs> he can't help it. At any cost, he's a dick. He can't help it. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, about the last clip that I just played, was George saying, I just said things I didn't think he'd listen. Yeah. Which is, it goes to show you, it's funny, George is both insecure with a giant ego. So he'll say things, he'll just have these ideas, these out there ideas, and they're the greatest ideas in the world, and he has enough charm to really convince you of these ideas, even though he's not sold on them himself. Yeah. You know, he also has the ability to lie through his teeth and believe his own bullshit oh totally so he's freaking the fuck out in the waiting room and then he's about to walk into nbc executive office and start pitching the idea like it's the greatest thing in the world so perhaps jerry's pep talk worked a little too well (laughs) yeah so in talking with the executives um they want to get a little bit more of a sense of what george's background what is George's background? What about you, George? Have you written anything we might know? <laughs> well, possibly. I, uh, I, I wrote an off-Broadway uh, show, uh, La Cocina. Uh, actually, it was off-Broadway. Off, uh, it was a, <laughs> a comedy about a Mexican chef. <laughs> it, was, it was very funny. There was one uh, great scene with, with the chef. Um, what was his name? Pepe. Oh, Pepe, Pepe. yes, Pepe. And uh, he was making tamales. Oh, he actually cooked on the stage? Uh, no, no, he mimed it. That's what was so funny about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so a couple of things here. I think this is the second time George has lied about something like this. He lied when trying to get the job at Pendant Publishing, and uh, the boss asks what his favorite authors are, and I think he says his favorite book is Venetian Blinds, <laughs> which sounds like a real book. Mm-hmm. And this sounds like a real sitcom. I saw this as such a lot, like a lost opportunity. Because he's making up a story about Pepe, a Mexican chef. And at no point does he say salsa seltzer. Yeah, that's true. I was very disappointed. I was waiting for that to happen. That'd be great if that joke came back. A little callback to the earlier scene. Right? Let me know if I'm alone in my disappointment. Are we ready for George's pitch? Let's hear it. Let's just pay attention to the way he pitches to the NBC execs. So what have you two come up with? Well, we've thought about this in a variety of ways, but the basic idea is I would uh, like myself... Like... <laughs> oh, go ahead. 
I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing? Nothing. What does that mean? <laughs> the show is about... Nothing. Well, it's, it's not about nothing. No, it's about nothing. Well, maybe in philosophy, but even nothing is something. Mr. Dalrymple, your niece is on the phone. I'll call back. Uh, D-A-L-R-I-M-P-E-L. Not even close. <laughs> is that with a Y? No. So, George, uh, his skill did not work out for him this time. He was uh, way off. Dalrymple. God damn it, George. Just... Oh, railroading, Jerry. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you're not, you're barely supposed to be here. That's the thing, like, you are not a writer. To bring a non-writer to a pitch meeting, strange enough, to then jump in as the lead behind the idea, even though it was your idea, let's let the professional pitch the idea. Not to mention they're interested in Jerry. That's, yeah. <laughs> they're interested in Jerry. They don't give a shit about George. He's not, he doesn't have to be part of the package. But the funny thing is, is that George sees it as what writing? It's a sitcom. That I really enjoyed that. You know, like sitcoms are nothing. They're yeah. silly. They're nonsense. They don't take much effort. You don't need to be a writer to write a, a sitcom. Which is so funny. Especially to, now, because yeah. we are in the golden age of television. Like yeah. And to know of a TV writer, like there's, t- there's so many TV writers that are well-known writers who are winning awards, who are also producing, who are writing books. Like these are great writers. So to like write them off as a whatever who sitcom a writer please like that's so silly. Okay, let's hear the rest of George's pitch to NBC. Let's see if he redeems himself at least in the pitch. What did you do today? I got up and came to work. There's a show. That's a show. <laughs> How is that a show? Well, uh, maybe, maybe something happens to you on the way to work. No, 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 nothing happens. Well, something happens. Well, why am I watching it? Because it's on TV. Not yet. Okay, so the funny thing about this is that George is taking a really philosophical view. Whereas Jerry's trying to prod at him. Clearly George can't read the room. And clearly George can't read Jerry. Where he's trying to let him know, hey, asshole, they're not biting. Something needs to happen because they're clearly not loving this nothing happens. That's it. Like, they're not in a room full of big thinking artists. They're in a room with TV execs who need that bottom line. What's the hook? Why am I watching? Yeah, especially if they're going to be putting money behind it. Exactly. So <laughs> to be philosophical and be like, no, it's nothing is insane. <laughs> it's You know what's funny about this is that I'm with George for the first little bit of it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm with him when he says, what did you do today? That's a show. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's a show. It is a show, and it's certainly a show in this series. Something like that happens. Yeah. It's your daily life. I have to go to the store, or I'm just coming back from the market and someone hits my car. It's an everyday occurrence for some people. <laughs> Where you lose me is when he says, no, nothing happens. Because Jerry says, well, maybe something happens on the way to the... Yeah, that happens in Seinfeld. Okay, yeah. the show's not completely about nothing. Something always happens. There's an interaction. There's some sort of some sort of action. Something setting off the next series of events. Exactly. It's never nothing. It might be a very dialogue-heavy episode, like the parking garage episodes where they've lost their car. And it relies a lot on dialogue, but something still happens as the catalyst for the dialogue. Yeah. So essentially, George blew it. Oh, he done goofed. Oh, you'd be so fucking mad. You'd stab him. Oh, for sure. You're in a room with TV execs who want to work with you, and your asshole best friend 
goofs pitching to them. He didn't even want to bring him. He has nothing to do with you. They, no. He doesn't help you with your material. He is not a writer. He, he came in no at the background. 11th hour. Granted, he may have had a good idea, but he wasn't willing to budge on it. No. And he really fucked you over. So let's see what Jerry says. What were you thinking? What was going on in your mind? Artistic integrity. Where, where, where did you come up with that? You're not artistic and you have no integrity. <laughs> You know, you really need some help, but a regular psychiatrist couldn't even help you. You need to go to, like, Vienna or something. You know what I mean? You need to get involved at the university level, like where Freud studied and have all those people looking at you and checking up on you. That's the kind of help you need. Not the once a week for 80 bucks. No, you need a team. A team of psychiatrists working round the clock, thinking about you, having conferences, observing you, like the way they did with the elephant man. Okay. We all have had moments in our lives, Jacqueline and I had one recently, where it dawns on you how crazy someone in your life is. <laughs> okay? Like, you deal with someone on an everyday basis or they're, you know, in your life enough that you've just become accustomed to their regular bullshit. Yeah. You know, their fits, their attitude, their conspiracies, their behavior, whatever it is. We all know, we all know someone who's probably a little bit off from center. Mm -hmm. And then something happens and you start to piece it all together and realize that's fucking insane. You are an insane person. Yeah, it's like you look up and it's a beautiful mind moment and like all the equations are kind of coming together and you're like, oh shit. It's you. Yeah. (laughs) You're the problem. Yeah. It's funny because when you work so closely with someone or when you live so closely with someone or you're just, someone's in your life that closely you start to think that maybe they're not crazy. You're just overreacting. That can happen quite a bit where you're just like, that's odd, but whatever. (laughs) And then the next thing happens and you're like, yeah, that's odd. And you somehow forget about the last odd thing that happened. Like you don't have a scale of oddness anymore or that scale just gets wider and wider. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those moments like Jerry's finally really realizing. Yeah, it's a moment of clarity. How fucked up George is. Yeah. Maybe because it comes down to Jerry, it's taking money out of Jerry's pocket. Well, that's the thing. He fucked him out of a fantastic opportunity. Ooh, no Kramer fuck. This is a a George fuck. fuck. I don't know that we've been keeping track of Kramer fucks lately. We got to go back. Yeah. But so far, this is a George fuck. And to make matters worse, George is completely inappropriate and can't stop thinking of himself. I thought the woman was kind of cute. Hold I really want to be clear about this. Are you talking about the woman in the meeting? Is that the woman you're talking about? Yeah. I thought I might give her a call. I don't meet that many women. I meet like three women a year. I mean, we've been introduced. She knows my name. It's completely inappropriate. Why? Maybe she liked me. I mean, she, she was looking right at me. You know, I I think she was impressed. We had good eye contact through the whole meeting. Okay, so George is looking at asking out a woman in the pitch meeting whose name is Susan Ross. And everyone knows Susan Ross. Even Jacqueline knows that Susan Ross is someone to be acquainted with. Yeah. Well, we were at dinner and I asked if this was the Susan that then later marries George. So what do you, how do you know, like how much are you familiar with? I remember an article coming out maybe a year ago, maybe a year plus ago on Split Cider that was just, they were highlighting some conversation. Maybe it was an AMA with um, 
Jason Alexander. I can't remember where where the context of the article it was. It was on from. Howard Stern. It was on Stern? Yeah. Okay. Um, where he talks about getting along he with ta- Suzanne. Yeah, he, him and the actress had no chemistry. It was really difficult working alongside her because it just, they didn't know what to do with this character, so they ended up killing her off. Yeah, so if you guys haven't heard, I think we might have even talked about this in the past. So um, Jason Alexander was on Howard Stern, and he was talking about Susan, and he was saying how he just didn't jive with her. It was nothing personal because she was a really sweet woman, but for whatever reason, he couldn't get a read on her character, how she was playing the character, and when just when he thought he figured out how she was going to deliver something, and she would switch it up. So he found it very difficult to act alongside her. Gang. He didn't think the chemistry was there. And he had mentioned it to Jerry, Larry and Julia and none of them really got it because most of them aren't in scenes with her with Susan Susan Ross whose real name I can't remember um and it wasn't until Elaine was in an episode with her and she's like I get it I get what you're saying <laughs> so they decided to kill her off do you know how they kill her off no we'll save that okay <laughs> I want to get back to what George did though because it's so true to form for him like yeah, he fucked up, but guess what? He's also going to think with his dick. Be like, here's a woman who I made eye contact with for 20 minutes. I can almost see what he's saying, because if you take out, like, Tinder or Bumble or any of those dating moments, like, the the idea, I can think of few in the last year guys I've met that I've had a conversation with who've looked me in the eye mm-hmm. that I've been familiar with. You got to be five. I had a meeting today with a gentleman and a blind man. <laughs> <laughs> and the other the other man looked me in the eye the whole time. Were you thinking, I could ask this guy out? God, no. <laughs> so inappropriate. <laughs> but he knew who you were. He knew who I was. We made eye contact. We like bonded over Lauren Hill and Sister Act 2. It's, can you imagine if he listens to this? Great. What's up, Carrie? <laughs> <laughs> so now we're back with Elaine, who is in Paris. She's kind of overlooking the Eiffel Tower with her... Therapist, psychologist. Therapist. Just a therapist. Her shrink. Who's got like a really plasticky face. Is this what good looking men were in 1992? Like a good looking older man was this guy? Yeah. Fuck that. And this is the only bit we've seen of Elena in the last little while. What is it? I was just thinking about this patient of mine. What? Just wondering if he's taking his medication. Oh, come on. We're on vacation. The reason why this is important, and we haven't mentioned it to date, Jerry runs into Joe Davola, otherwise known as Crazy Joe Davola, while he's at the pitch meeting, while he's waiting outside of the room before he goes in to talk to the executives. And he doesn't like Jerry. He's very odd. He's very stiff and cold. And Jerry, because he's uncomfortable, mentions Kramer's party. And he also assumes, because Joe Davola is also friends with Kramer, that he would naturally be invited to Kramer's party. Kramer, unfortunately, did not invite Joe Davola, so Jerry totally put his foot in his mouth. Have you ever done that before? Oh, of course. I've done it, too. I can't think of any moments, though. I know I've done it, and I've probably done it in the last year. <laughs> um, I talk to so many people. I listen to so many things. I forget who I've said what to. Yeah. The guy that her psych- Elaine's therapist is actually talking about is crazy Joe Davola. And he is off his meds. Yeah, he gets angry when he finds out that he wasn't invited to Kramer's party. So before we get into that... We're back now at Jerry's apartment and George walks in with Susan. So clearly he was able to work something out with Susan. Maybe she also doesn't meet very many men. This is one of three men she's met all year who had the balls to ask her out. Yeah, after some prolonged eye contact. Uh, and Susan has some good news. Let's see if we can hear it. Well, I... Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me one second. Hello? Hi. Would you be interested in switching over to TMI? 
Oh, gee, I, I can't talk right now. Why don't you give me your home number and I'll call you later? Uh, well, I'm sorry. We're not allowed to do that. Oh, I guess you don't want people calling you at home. No. Well, now you know how I feel. <laughs> What do you think of that? I love that everyone in the audience had such a strong reaction to that. They're like, yeah, fuck telemarketers. You tell them, Jerry. Yeah, because I'm assuming telemarketers were so annoying back in 1992. <laughs> you know, there wasn't the like no call list, which yeah. doesn't do shit. but Or caller ID to filter them out. Exactly. So if you were answering the phone, a lot of times you're getting a telemarketer. Yeah. Uh, I decided to keep that laughter track in because you actually hear how uh, pleased the audience is with yeah. that. So they're, they're clearly really cheering on Jerry that he does that. Uh, also important to note that there's another moment like this that happens later on in the series where it's not as funny but uh, Jerry delivers a similar line, probably because this one was so successful. Susan's trying to tell Jerry the good news, but she gets cut off by uh, the phone call. When given a second chance, she gets cut off by Kramer, who throws up on her. <laughs> Never should have brought her up there. Should have known better. I should have seen it coming. I didn't see it coming. I think she saw it coming. <laughs> You know, she was behind the idea. She was going to champion the show. That's what I was bringing her up there to tell you. And she liked me. Look, just because Kramer vomited on her doesn't mean the deal is dead. What, are you crazy? It's a traumatic thing to be thrown up on. Vomiting is not a deal breaker. If Hitler had vomited on Chamberlain, Chamberlain still would have given him Czechoslovakia. Chamberlain. You could hold his head in the toilet, he'd still give you half of Europe. Vomiting, is that a deal breaker for you? That early in a relationship? Absolutely. Even if it's not him, it's his friend. Yeah, don't let your friend vomit on me. Yeah. If I don't like you that much, I'm not... Like, if it's real new, I don't want to be around this situation again. What are the odds you're going to get thrown up on again? Or it'll be the joke of like, oh yeah, remember that time I threw up on you? I don't know that it would be a deal breaker for me. I don't know. Maybe it would. I'd have to be in that situation. I guess I'm trying to It's give myself a little bit. Put yourself in Susan's shoes. You're newly seeing this guy who pitched you in in a terrible pitch meeting, but for whatever reason reached out to you, and you're lonely, and you're like, okay, great. This guy's interested. You go to his friend's apartment where you get to deliver some great news to this person. You get interrupted twice. The second time you're interrupted is because a man drinks expired milk and vomits that expired milk plus his stomach acid all over you. How are you feeling? I'm not saying I'm loving it. But if you don't even know this guy that well... And you're you not- assume he would be extremely apologetic, sure, embarrassed, feel like shit. It's not his fault. He would feel <sighs> awful about it. Whatever, fine. I just, I would not want to have to revisit that every, t- like, to, even to have him be constantly apologizing. It's like I don't want to go there anymore. I mean, that's fair. I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> Would you vomit if someone vomited on you? Oh, probably. Or I'd gag. I'd for sure gag. I can't deal with vomit. Okay, let's listen to our last clip where Kramer gets kicked by crazy Joe Davola. What happened to you? Davola came after me. What? Davola? See, I told you this guy is crazy. I can't believe this. What happened? Can I get coffee? 
But, you know, I was walking home. You know, I, I had to pick up my helmet from the shop, you know, because I had to get a new strap. So I had it on, you know, and I was checking the strap out to make sure that it fit. And suddenly, I feel this kick hit me on the side of the head. It knocks me down. <laughs> I look up, and it's crazy Joe Davola. And he says, that's what I think of your party. Boy, that is some kick. But well, yeah, Newman's helmet, it saved my life. Look at that. Wow, Newman's helmet. Holy. I got bad news for you, buddy. Devola says you're next. <laughs> me? Why? He doesn't like you. What does he want from me? I didn't do anything. See, this is all Elaine's fault. She took off to Europe with his psychiatrist. He probably can't get his medication. Now I got some nut after me. It is Elaine's fault. She did take <laughs> off with his psychiatrist, and now he can't get his medication. And now Jerry has a nut after. That's the other thing about the show. It's a show about nothing, but everyday activities. And there's always a story that intertwines the four of them. Yeah. There's always a connection. Kramer could do something that fucks everybody in this episode but um, he's a million miles away. There's right. always something that connects the four members. Yeah. It's some throwaway comment or it's you bump into the wrong person on the street. It's you take the wrong parking spot, whatever it is. 100%. It then has a ripple effect through each of the characters. And it's a nice way to end off on this clip because this clip in itself really sets up the second part of this two-parter, which is what we're going to be watching next week, which I believe is called The Ticket. But before we get to that, do we need to do a recap and Jacqueline's opinion on this episode? Okay. Jacqueline's opinion on this episode. All right, Jacqueline's opinion on this episode. Go. I liked it. It was good. Um, I give it mm, 11 out of 12 eggs in a carton. Why only 11? Room for improvement. Not as much Elaine. Elaine's normally a tipping point for you. I, I usually love, get you extra points. I do love me some Elaine moments. Um, it is a strong episode despite lack of Elaine, though. Um, I loved how meta it was, how it was a fun take on what these guys actually did to get themselves a TV show. Um, There's just so many great little conversational moments like the salsa seltzer. Um, Stuff like that just reminds me so much of everyday kind of throwaway comments. Like we said, if his heart's still ticking, he can put his dick in. Like shit like that that we just say for no reason. Jacqueline and I lately have really (laughs) found an affinity for rapping filthy, filthy songs. Yeah. And it all started because of Kia's My Neck, My Back, which granted is an older song. But we started singing it out of nowhere. And then I came up with a filthy fucking lyric (laughs) out of nowhere. And then Jacqueline took it and ran with it. So lately we've been doing a lot of dirty, dirty raps. Yeah. It's my favorite thing. So maybe if we get enough people that want to hear it, we'll dirty rap for you. We'll have a dirty rap battle. Um, I also like that just... George was musing about, well, this is this is the show. Us being like dummies. This is a show, which is hilarious because us in our office, we say that all the time. Like, this is our YouTube show. Oh, all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's just us being assholes, saying silly, silly shit. Yeah. So to see that reflected back 20 odd years ago, to be like, this is the show. Here's a show idea that Jacqueline and I have had. So sometimes Jacqueline will come for the ride when I drive home. Uh, my long commute home. She'll she'll drive with me just part of the way. And the entire drive together, we make fun of people that pass by. Yeah. And we decided to call it Driving in Cars with Cunts, where we're going to affix a camera both looking into the car and outside of the car so you guys can see who we're talking about. And we're just going to drive by people and burn them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Still tickles me. <laughs> Clearly. That's in development. Yeah. But we, yeah, we do have ideas like this all the time. Yeah. Right? Just like it'll be Danielle, Zach, and I, and 
we're just like saying dumb shit and making each other laugh. And we're like, this is the show. <laughs> this could be a show. And I think yeah. a lot of shows start out that way. I love this episode. It's certainly not one of my favorites. It doesn't come to mind as one of my favorites. I definitely appreciated more watching it for this show, which I've said several times. Um, I think it's a nice way to kick off season four. Um, mm-hmm. Season four has so many good episodes, but I think this is a pretty good episode. I think if I told you the, sh- this so- the show only gets better from this episode, I think that's a pretty fucking good place to start. All right. I was reviewing this episode for clips to pull and I pulled 23 clips. So this is a pretty heavy clip show. I didn't know that we'd play all of them. I think we ended up playing at least 21 or 22 of them, which goes to show you how many solid moments there are in the show. Totally. They didn't want to toss any of them out. I liked all of them. I think some of them were for context, but a lot of them were just for comedic value and great writing. Yeah. And the salsa seltzer, the joshing back and forth, the riffing, two buddies just riffing. Riffing bits. Just, it's great. Yeah. It's perfect. And it should be what that show's about. And it is kind of a nice take on uh, the Seinfeld show to see the inner workings of how the show probably came together because they would have had to make a decision to make a show about nothing. Yeah. And I liked in in the pitch meeting when George said, well, they're going to watch it because it's on TV. (laughs) Which is true in a sense. It's certainly not why you would pitch the show or how you would pitch yeah. the show. But yeah. And Bob Balaban goes, not yet. Yeah. Not not, not yet it's not. Yeah. It's pretty great. It kind of shuts him down. That uh, Russell is quite the intimidating fellow for such a short, nice looking man. He seems pretty intimidating. And it's funny. Like if you think of like when you were a kid and you were homesick from school and you'd watch The Price is Right or Steve Harvey, like Family Feud, because it was on. That's kind of... <laughs> the View. I mean, yeah. you've said often that your mom will watch stuff My just because it's on. loves The View. <laughs> See, I don't have cable, so I have to be very active in what I want to watch. You have to, to search out yeah, for it. Exactly. Um, so I can't just like sit back and passively let TV happen to me. Although you can because you have Netflix and you have time on the weekend and you're yeah. looking for something to binge through and you just kind of... Put something on. But I make sure it's, it's something that I want to be watching. It's not just something that I happens to be on. You're right. But I think it, it is in a new way. Mm-hmm. It's not just on in front of you like a bad movie's on on the weekend. But it is on. You don't really know what it is. It's on Netflix. There's nothing else to watch. I'll give this a shot. Right. Anyways, I like this episode. I think I'd give it a 10 out of 12 eggs in oh, a carton. Nice. Yeah. Anything else? I don't think so. Okay, well, everybody, thanks for listening. Yeah, we appreciate it. We love hearing from you guys. Um, as you know, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash that's the deal podcast. That seems to be the place to be if you have any comments or questions. That's um, where the conversations are happening. Yeah, and we love to hear from you guys. It's interesting to see your perspective, your insights into the show, uh, your little facts, things that you picked up on that we didn't mention here. Certainly give us a shout on Facebook. Or you can even direct message us on Facebook and then yeah. we'll give you a shout out. That's and a lot of people pronounce do. your name. Yeah, we will butcher your name. Um, you can email us that's the deal podcast at gmail.com we're on twitter at that's the deal pod we're also on instagram that's the deal podcast we love hearing from you guys we love your takes because they're usually very different from ours and uh, we love it when you're super obsessed with the show also shout out to samantha baxter also made a comment as one of the few babes that listen to the show she's in for our new podcast (laughs) which we're glad because we said it's probably gonna be a babe only yeah so thanks for listening to this podcast and possibly the future one. We appreciate it. Okay, well, until next time, I guess that's it for us this week. So bye. Bye. Bye.